different genders, ethnicities, vocations, and ages. All individuals, and all created in the image of God. Yet we don't see each other in this way. We don't treat each other in this way. We don't search for our identity in this way. The way God created us, the way God views us, the way God values us. Our worldview, identity, and morals have been distorted. Our original image, unrecognizable. And we are losing our humanity. But there's hope and assurance, evident in our creation, the fall of man and redemption. Answers to life's biggest questions and life's greatest tensions. Answers that point us to truth. Answers that point us to beauty we can't find within ourselves or our world. Answers regarding humanity, ethics, and beauty found in the image of God. Well, good morning and welcome. If I haven't met you, my name is Eric Colser. I serve as the pastor here of Gospel Collective Church. And again, so glad that you are here uh, joining us. I know uh, Jacob already pointed you to these cards right here, but uh, also uh, if you're new and we weren't able to get your information, uh, please fill out your information here and we can be able to uh, uh, follow up with you, see if you have any questions, uh, tell you a little bit more about our church. Uh, but also we use these for uh, prayer requests uh, as well. And so whether first time coming, been a long time member, uh, if there's anything we would love to pray for you about, uh, please fill out this card and uh, put it in the, the offering box at each one of the exit doors uh, over there. Um, and also, if you are just joining us, uh, so you know, uh, we started a new series, as you saw the video right there, uh, on Imago Day, how each and every one of us is created in the image of God. And so when we first started this series, we talked about three truths uh, of a, a biblical worldview, actually, rooted even, or what is the, makes up the gospel, uh, our creation, how uh, in the fall brings sin on humanity, and how everything is redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so we've taken each one of these subjects, talking about Imago Dei, uh, through the lens of each one of those three items, uh, creation, fall, and redemption. And so the first week we talked about what that means and especially how each one has affected humanity. Uh, the second week we talked about dominion, how this affects our jobs, our work, our vocation, our service, um, how it affects all those things. And especially as God has uh, in the cultural commission or the cultural mandate, how he has charged us to uh, uh, to be able to uh, advance in society, how that affects technology, something a part of our lives, every one of us. And so we talked about that last week. Uh, we talked about justice, how this affects everything from uh, racism uh, to the different injustices in this world and how God takes injustice seriously because he is a just God. 
And so we talked about that, I'll be honest. I was expecting lots of emails. I uh, had a lot of encouragement, uh, agreement. Um, again, uh, so, so thank you. Uh, but then this week, as you guys see and know, today we're talking about life and family, abortion, gender, and identity. So if you didn't email last week, I bet you're going to be emailing this week, okay? Uh, but again, you cannot talk about how we are created in the image of God without hitting some of these tough, uh, what is tension-filled in the culture and world today, subjects. If we're creating the image of God, it's going to hit some of these things. And so uh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, start off, know that when God created everything, He created everything out of nothing. He created something from nothing. And He didn't just create something. He created things that gave and represented life. So when Jesus came... And he said such bold statements, such as John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There was something more to that. John 6, 35, when he had shared that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, I came, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, that value in life and continuing to create and have abundant life comes originally from creation, specifically in some of the topics we're going to hit, like marriage, like family, and how life continues to happen on this earth. So first thing we need to know about this subject and topic is this. Humanity created in the image of God. We said that in the very beginning. We said we're going to hit that, and that's going to be a truth in each and every one of these topics. Humanity was created in the image of God, and in that creation, it reveals to us God-given gender, marriage, and family in life. Again, humanity created in the image of God reveals God-given gender, marriage, and family in life. Join with me in Genesis chapter 1. We've read this before. We're going to read it again, especially as it relates to this topic. Genesis 1 verse 27. In the very beginning it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He created male, female as he created them, and he told them in the cultural commission, be fruitful, multiply, have families, reproduce. One chapter later, verse 18, as Adam was working in his vocation and his job called, created to do so, as he gave each animal names, as he was not alone per se because of the rest of creation. It says, verse 18, chapter 2, the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. That the animals weren't enough. As we joked and said in the very first message, I know you have your fur babies, I have had at least five of them since I was a child, but there is something about humanity and the soul that encompasses human beings. Verse 20, 
of chapter 2. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he had made into a woman and brought her to the man, and then the woman and then the man said, "This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And in Matthew 19, Jesus affirmed and taught all of this, of what was said and what is mentioned and read in Genesis 1 and 2. Jesus, in Matthew 19, affirmed and taught all of this regarding both gender and marriage and family. When the Pharisees were trying to trick him in that chapter by asking him, is divorce always sinful? Jesus did not give a straight up yes, black, white, no answer. Instead, he taught them some things about marriage in general, made sure they knew God created us from the beginning in Genesis 1 as male, as female. He says, have you not read that, he asks. Look at verses 3 through 5, or 3 and 4 in Matthew 19, when the Pharisees came up to him, tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And then he pauses. Let that soak in. Even though it's not what they originally asked, he went straight from creation, how God created us. Differences, male, female, in those ways. Have you not heard from the very beginning God created us in this way? And then he created, talks about marriage, as we'll get to in a moment here, how the husband and wife holds fast covenants with each other. Now that is in the beginning, in creation. And as we have hit every single message so far on these subjects, we know that there is sin in this world that has confused, that has distorted, that has hurt what God creates originally in creation that is good because by depravity, by the fall of man, we see it do two things. It confuses gender, it divides the sexes, and it brings great pain and sin on marriage and family. Again, because of sin entering into this world, as we'll get to and see in chapter 3, we see how it confuses gender, divides the sexes, and brings great pain and sin on marriage and family. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3, how this starts, but how now it has continued to today. Verse 1 of chapter 3, God's word says this, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And listen, church, that is still true of today. Satan is still very much just as deceitful, cleverly deceitful in this area and in this way. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat, any tree, eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, 
neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And listen, this is the start of great pain of sin on this world, but also and specifically marriage and family. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. If you didn't notice what we read in the very beginning in, in creation, in, in chapter 1, or chapter, I'm sorry, 2, you saw they both were naked, not ashamed in and with this. And now, for the very first time, what even confused them, they recognized and had sexual shame. Very first time. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Again, here you see, now for the first time, continues on today, division between the two. More sin, more pain in the family. Added sinful consequences to the sexes, marriage and family. Verse 15, some of the consequences. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You know the word enmity. That's the state of feeling or of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. And church, is that not still true today between the genders? Everything from males sinful domineering and misogynism. As it says here, he bruises her head. Sadly, we have a long history showing this society where men have sinfully dominated women. And we know, we see women's, as it shows here, but then continued today, women's hatred for men as she bruises his heel. Bitterness toward maybe even all men, not even the sinful bad ones that can come out of this. Or sinful submission to this. That is just as wrong and affects us, family, marriage, the differences, relations between men and women. When you sinfully submit to that type of sinful domineering. I know it's easy to pick on extremities, 
of like, for example, like angry feminism movement. But have you seen the other side where women simply desire submit to such sinful use, abuse and domination? I worked in student ministry for a long, long time. And again, it always broke my heart when I saw girls not recognizing, knowing how to be valued, how to have worth. And again, not caring about certain things because of, again, sin affecting us. Verse 16 says to the woman, he said, I'll surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth in children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And of course, great pain here affecting something that should be nothing but a blessing and a joy concerning family and birth. And listen, that pain today does go beyond just physical childbearing, but it affects marriage and family today. Specific ways where we see today God-given gender can be confused and the sexes are divided. And listen, I know there are people, whether watching, people in this room, or people that you know that are struggling with some of these very things. Some that you're very close to. Maybe it's family-related. Maybe it's friends. Again, maybe it's you. But you struggle and see. You're confused. There's division. There's hostility in this specific area. We all know how controversial this, again, can be. God speaks into it. But we do have a very confused world. I mean, again, because I served in student ministry for so long, I have a huge passion for not only that area, but what they're being taught, what they're hearing. And something that is pretty regularly taught within the public schools is this that's on the screen. And some of you guys may have heard of this, some of you guys have not. But the gender-bred man, person, I mean, I'm sorry, I, I'm saying man right there. That's going to get some emails, okay? Um, the gender-bred person, as you can see, and uh, as it says and shows on that picture, there are four different, four different things that one uh, can be able to choose. You can be able to, what is being kind of taught, said, believed by many in the culture today, that you can choose your identity, what you think, believe you are in your head. But not only that, you can choose what you desire and you're attracted to. That you can choose your appearance and expression. And then, therefore, also you can choose your literal physical sex. And when I say choose, I am talking about, and you guys, many of you guys that have studied this before, many of you guys know how confusing this can be. And so we're not going to take all 35 minutes on this one thing. But it is literally, I can choose to be my sex, male, female, and therefore make some physical changes, surgeries, medication to act out on that. But even if I do that, I can choose a different gender according to what I desire in my head. And then also choose in heart. And then I can say and say, you know, what is the pronouns and everything on, online. I can say I'm a he, but I can dress like a she, but I can feel like a both he, she. Tell me that's not confusing. Now, I don't say that like to really mock that, make fun of it. I mean, it's kind of hard when like celebrities say like, 
aliens is a offensive like word and that we need to use proper pronouns for them. It's kind of hard not to do it when like celebrities say aliens are like not using their proper pronouns and we're offending them. But I know legitimately there are guys and girls that have deep struggles and confusion in this area. I know that. And so I think as the church, we have to have compassion, hear people out, be burdened for those who are, again, genuinely confused in these areas. And while we listen, empathize, welcome conversation and dialogue, we also know and must believe that according to God's word, as much confusion that you have not only here, but may continue to have in the future, as we'll get to in redemption, your identity is not in what you are confused by, and that there is truth still in God-given gender. There's confusion between the sexes. And listen, on that quick note, right, real quick, because I know I'm talking specifically mostly to the church, to redeemed Christians, to many within the culture of our specific church that I know where you stand with some of these things. I know what's been taught. I also want to say that does not mean loving and supporting everything that the world may say about this. That is true, but is said in a crude, crude way. I'm not going to go too far on this little rabbit trail, but I have to admit and say it's kind of disappointing where what everybody is talking about in the world right now is Dave Chappelle's comedy special and how he had said gender is a fact and true. And while, again, as Bible-believing Christians, we can affirm that, I am just as amazed at those Bible-believing Christians affirming almost everything else the guy says, supporting everything else the guy says. We don't have to affirm what is crude and sinful along with what we say is true. You know, for a bunch of people that seems to hate and despise liberal Hollywood, oh, we got one guy championing and saying one thing we support, and all of a sudden, everything else is okay. Come on. We can believe and affirm saying gender is fact and true while not believing and affirming all of the just as misogynistic, mis, mis, oh man, I totally, misogynistic areas and ways as well. Quit laughing at me, Greg. <laughs> and we know and see how it brings great pain and sin on marriage and family. Listen, I have met and I have known a lot of people that have visited in this world that they've pretty much given up on marriage. Part of that reason is because of our generation's doubts that it even can work or is needed for our future. I mean, I know we have grown up and we have seen so much adultery, affairs, lack of love between marriages, divorce, lack of repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, lack of grace and peace between spouses and overabundance of an abandonment of children, different definition of marriage. And that the idea of marriage and family is even mocked and made fun of for the most part in our culture. I feel like often in ministry, sadly, 
I'm, I'm supposed to feel bad to a certain extent for loving my wife and kids and putting them before all other things outside of God. I've shared with this with you guys a few different times now. I don't need to feel bad about that. That even to the extent where this church, they, they I love you guys, but if things are going south with marriage and family, you guys can find another pastor or my kids, spouse, they can't find another husband and dad. Well, they can, but I don't know if exactly biblically. And so I'm going to. I'm going to choose them. And that's, again, countercultural in this day and age. But we know with all that confusion, with all of that division, with all that pain and sin in those areas, as we know, as we have said each week, as we need to feel and believe here today there is great redemption of us being created the image of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ and in this area it does with that redemption because of the gospel it does three things in this subject first off it restores right identity it restores right identity. First, we need to know this concerning specifically the area of gender. It starts with identity in Christ. When you have received Christ because you have known and you confess and admit you are a sinner, that sin stands in the way of a holy, loving God and a relationship with Him, that Jesus Christ came on this earth to die on the cross for such sin, rose from the grave, de defeating sin, Satan, and death, and proving that He was God and the Messiah to do that, and that when you repent of your sin and have saving faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you and your identity is in first and utmost God and as a Son of God, Jesus Christ. That is your identity. And you have now the Holy Spirit where you can believe and see God's original design and purpose in this area. God-given gender. Going back to Jesus' own words, quoting from creation in Genesis 1, where he says, we were created as man and women. When answering a question about divorce, man and woman that way, equal in value and image, but beautifully diverse in gender. We are created different than each other. As we know, majority of, of kids, they reveal this naturally. We see that this doesn't have to be stereotypical, but we can't deny it at the same time as God created this this way. We see this in appearance and demeanor. For the most part, again, God creating men, women, different in this area. And as much as the world pushes back on this and there is some confusion on this. I mean, some of these things just aren't going to go away. Everything from prom. I mean, they celebrate the sexes in there. Or the when we celebrate a somebody having a baby and the gender reveal. I mean, that stuff just happens naturally. Even though the gender reveal parties are getting a little more extreme if you guys have seen some of those videos. But that happens and will continue to happen naturally. We were created different, God-given, in good ways, and everything from our immune system. In research by Dr. Greg Johnson, it, he had said that it shows that females' internal immune system is way better than guys. Statistically, they get less sick and 
they have shorter periods of time of being sick, particularly when pregnant. Men, that means that man sick is by God, okay? It's not just an excuse by us. Man sick is actually biblical right there, okay? It's how God created us. We can't help but be baby spouses, okay? But men who have typically been the one fighting in the wars, hunting, protecting, building, they naturally have a better physical wound healing system, except for when they're not man sick at home. Again, God created us in those ways. Our nervous system, you know all those moms that said, I have those mama ears. That's actually scientific. There's research that shows that all of their senses are scientifically heightened around people and especially children. I'll never forget when my firstborn was, uh, uh, we were in the hospital and the first night that she was born, um, we were those parents that, again, our first child, we want to have her in the room. Even our nurse is like, hey, listen, get some sleep. You're so worn out and tired. And, and so you let them go to the nursery to each their own. Uh, Jessica and I were like, oh, this is our firstborn. No, we have to have her with us. Okay, bad move. Our part, okay? I am clonked out, okay, on this little mini couch. And my firstborn, Olivia, is crying. Jessica, having a, a, a rough, you know, rough, uh, a rough birthing, uh, can hear, but it's hard for her to get up. And so she's yelling at me, Eric, Eric, wake up, wake up. Okay, throwing shoes, throwing silverware, throwing anything she can find. I'm just, okay, knocked out. That's scientifically God-given in that way. Those mama ears are there for a reason emotionally, our biological emotions, actions. It is different, actually, statistically, in stress. Relationally, men desiring respect, an initial charge for adventure, purpose, and mission. Women desiring love, being their natural nurturing. Again, socially, people. And as true scientifically as those things, as factual as they are, I also know we don't always legitimately feel that way or are even naturally prone to those things. God created us, even if we struggle with this in his image. And sin may have disoriented or confused those things, even from birth, even as even after or as a Christian, you still may be confused or more prone to such confusion and differences. And it will take self-control, needed community, but ultimately, most importantly, we must remember our ultimate identity is in Jesus Christ. Every one of us, beyond all such gender. And we can know and see that when having Christ, receiving Christ, how he restores that right identity. We also see how in that redemption, it redeems marriage and family. Can quickly go back to Jesus's answer in Matthew 19. And I keep on doing this for this specific passage, uh, this specific subject, because I just know how often people have said in this area, well, what does Jesus say? I don't want to hear about creation, Adam and Eve, 
I don't want to hear about what Paul says, although we do believe as a church that Paul's words is just as much as the rest of Scripture, God's words, uh, what we have in the Bible. But specifically, as so many people say, what does Jesus say? It's amazing how much Jesus affirmed creation and also what was written. It says in verse 5 of Matthew 19, God created us as male and female for that reason, and then said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus now briefly explains two different roles they play in a great definition of marriage unity, covenantal marriage where two becomes one. Man, where leaves mom and dad, sets himself up to be independent, responsible, to take responsibility for a woman he will pursue to become his wife, and they will hold fast to each other. A wife who enters into that loving, faithful covenant. God creates man, but man was alone, even though having dominion over everything. And so God creates woman out of man and says, this creature alone out of all others meets my need for companionship. She alone is equal coming out of my flesh. I identify with her. I love her. I will call her woman for coming out of man. She's not a rival, but instead a partner, not a threat, but his equal who helps fulfill both of their longings and purposes within. Jesus redeems marriage and family. As so much of those different gender roles with different purposes goes into a Christ-centered, redeemed marriage where they complement each other. Why does he do this? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 5. It reflects and images the gospel of Jesus Christ. He redeems it because it reflects and images the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a long passage, but I want to read it fully. Ephesians 5, starting off with verse 22. Wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now with that, I do want to say, because I've had many questions on this before, that's not submitting to anything sinful. That is not submitting to a husband's sinful, whether it be the domineering that I'd mentioned, or leading you into sin. Sadly, there's been people in the church that have said that, believed that, championed that, and that's not true. Verse 25, husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Look at verse 31. Again, Jesus said it, coming from creation. Now the Apostle Paul is relating it to redeemed marriage and family. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. This is why it's redeemed in Christ. They didn't have this as, as good as, as what God gave in marriage and family, even the Old Testament. 
they didn't understand how it was to image and reflect the gospel of Jesus because he wasn't here yet. This mystery was profound before, but now it's here. And what is it to do? To, as he says, I'm saying, it refers to Jesus Christ and the church. When a husband is living that way, treating his wife in that way, sacrificially loving her in such a way, and a wife is living that out, and the two have become one, it images to the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Remember, the purpose of those different roles that complement each other, it's for marriage, not in other roles, not in other relationships, but it's in marriage to image Christ. And listen, I've said this a ton of times before. I can't but help to every time when on this subject. Oh, although how, as controversial as that may seem and be, in culture in the world today, oh, how beautiful that truly is to a lost world and all those views of love, not caring for marriage and family because of what they've seen, maybe grown up with, have experienced themselves. When they actually see that picture right there, oh, how beautiful it is. I'll never forget greatest growth when I was in student ministry with the student group, the youth group greatest growth from a very, very lost kind of base, coming lots of students from dysfunctional family situations, hard situations, how many of them came to know Christ and saying this is what God initially used for them to be open to the gospel, being around families and parents that live this out imaging Jesus Christ. It redeems family and kids. This uncharitable view from the world that families and kids hinders our future, your career, plans to travel, ability to be with other people. Really lost view to, I can't play the field anymore. It shackles me down. It makes life boring. But then at the same time, as common as that view is, we also get like a mixed message from the world at times, little glimpses and moments where we do see people thinking and believing, well, marriage and family is actually something I desire still. It is a beautiful thing, a good thing. I'll never forget seven years ago or so, top 10 female rapper Nicki Minaj was asked what her biggest fear is. 31 years old at the time, number one in all the charts, the rapper replied, my biggest fear is that I'll become so consumed with work that I'll forget to live my personal life to the fullest. If I'm done with my fifth album and I don't have a child by then, no matter how much money I have, I'd be disappointed as a woman because I feel like I was put here to be a mother. That's what she said. Before she becomes a mother, though, she said, I want to be a wife. She said, I've definitely put off the wife thing because I don't want people in my business. <laughs> she admitted to Complex Magazine. She said, I'd rather not do anything that's going to be on paper, but I definitely want to be married before I have my baby. I wanna make sure I do that in that order. I've always felt like I need to do that since I was young. And so for all of her rap songs about different men selling sex, anacondas, 
in reality at heart. That girl just wants a marriage and kids. Not the way that she's rapping about, selling albums about, but more like what's graciously given before the fall and can be redeemed. And listen, those things do need to be redeemed. Because when marriage and families were covered by Christ and pursued as in its original design and image, we start imaging God and his family, most importantly, the gospel and salvation to others around us. You know, all those things, how they reflect a spiritual nature in the scriptures. As I had mentioned with marriage as the gospel in Ephesians 5, a father where the number one term and name for God in all the scriptures is God as a good, loving, spiritual father. Family related. Mentioned over 250 times in the scripture. The purpose of kids in a family as a blessing, an inheritance, a grace. Something you'll hear more about at the end of service as we do child dedications. Adoption. As it is referred to in images, God adopting us into his family in the church. All of those things, all of those things, image, spiritual nature of who our God is and what he desires and wants of us. He redeems family and kids. And lastly, redemption of Imago Dei through the gospel of Jesus. It reforms a culture of life for us. You know, something you may not know about my wife. I didn't get approval for this. I usually have to get approval for certain things. She's scared. Um, my, my wife has not typically liked skulls and things that typically represent death. I don't know if you guys remember where like the affliction shirts were the big thing and so like skull things and, and Jessica was always like, I don't like that type of stuff. All right. Um, even where has at times became a little kind of miniature debate and, and conflict within our family when it comes to scary Halloween stuff. OK. And I remember early on when I started noticing seeing this years ago, at first it was tempting for me to think, oh, Jessica's a little legalistic about this type of stuff right here. But I'm going to be honest, as years have passed. And where I feel like I've matured and grown valuing life and what represents life and all other things, I've honestly supported and loved it. Because there's a lot of death that's represented in this world. And again, please don't take this the right way. Like if you guys are wearing t-shirts with skulls or have like deathly decorations in Halloween, go do it, okay? But I will say, life is a very important thing for us as Christians to champion. Right? Knowing what not only death represents, and on that note, we can't but help to. It's not like we cover this subject all the time by any means. We do need to talk a little bit about then abortion, a biblical view on these things. There's many texts of scripture that confirms human life begins at conception, that an unborn baby is an image bearer of God. Psalm 51.5 reveals that we're not only human beings, but sinners from conception. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Even the soul aspect of that part. And although I believe, personally, have always taught, discipled, that any child that passes is in heaven, although originally with sinful nature, but cannot give account for that sin until a certain time and age. We do see that soul 
at least according to Scripture, starts before even birth, but in conception. God called both Isaiah and Jeremiah for prophetic ministry from their mother's wombs. Luke 1.15 says that John the Baptist will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And of course, the most go-to reference section of Scripture on human life in the womb, and it's the go-to for a reason. We read it in the call to praise this morning in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your books were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Christians have always followed the teaching of the Old Testament Jews that abortion of a pre-born child and exposure of a born child are both murderous sins. In the Didache, which was an ancient manual for church instruction, written in early church times, we read and it says, you shall not commit murder, you shall not procure abortion. Some will argue that there's a difference between a child in a mother's womb and one outside of it. Yet the early church saw both as equally living people and the taking of life in either state are just as equal murder. Additionally, the Bible assumes that an unborn baby is a human life and assigns the death penalty for anyone who takes an unborn life because it is murder, according to Exodus 21, 22 through 25, which says, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on her and he shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And when, even when we don't have legal protections to preborn children because of age, size, or phase of development, it is a grievous discrimination and injustice akin to racism, sexism, and ageism. If we truly care about dignity and equality for all people, then we must include the unborn who are the most vulnerable and without a voice or a vote. Even when the world doesn't make sense of it, goes against it. Just think about it. At conception, a new DNA strand is created that is distinct for mom and dads, a new human life. That at eight weeks in a womb, a baby feels and reacts to pain that all of the organs necessary to support life is there, yet it is legal to end that life for a decision with abortion. And at the same time, it's only legal under those certain circumstances. If a woman is in the car on her way to get an abortion and a drunk driver hits her, causing her to lose the baby, that driver will be charged with involuntary manslaughter, indicating that the unborn child is indeed a human life, however, you're well within your rights to drive to that abortion clinic and the life of such a baby with no legal consequences. Again, our legal system doesn't even know how to make sense of this issue, which is why us as Christians, we need to figure out. We need to speak up. It's a justice issue as we talked about last week. And so three quick things about that. One, as Christians, we need to be people of life. This should be true, of course, for all areas of life because we live in a culture that champions death. This is a biblical justice that is social. 
So all those people like oh, social justice, this is social justice right here. It is. It's biblical social justice. And we need to do things. How to be people of pro-life first, we must respect, value, and protect all human life. And this is one of them. This does include children, elders, from what we talked about of, of refugees, immigrants, criminals, people we don't like or agree with. We love and value all human life, and this includes them, and especially the other lives involved. We must respect, value all human life. Two, it is good, it is okay for us to take action with pro-life organizations and in adoption. As I had mentioned last week, where in certain justice issues, we can't take steps, we have to be vocal about all things biblically in justice issues, but we can only take action steps with certain things, and this may be convictionally one for you. It is one for, as a church, we do support a, a, a pro-life clinic, uh, in the city, but you may need to take additional steps led by the Holy Spirit to adopt, to take more action with those organizations. This can be anything from compassion to, again, fostering, to adopting, volunteering at pro-life pregnancy centers. To, and I know this can be controversial, and I've had many people ask me about that, like protesting, what's your thoughts on that and with that? I'll be honest, I have a little bit of mixed things with it. Um, I say that just because I do think we can and should do that. I've also been and seen some of those things in times where with what was being said, even out of a desire of trying to prevent, call it what it is, murder, seeing people walk out of those and such hateful things were being screamed to them where they need the most kind of grace and love at that moment in time. I will say there is a family that comes to our church and they know that this is a convictional issue where they do and have gone in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, I think the only places, and they go and protest and uh, they make sure that they're not hateful uh, in the way they do that. And they have prayed and agreed that as a family they have offered to take that baby every single time. Again, I know not every person and family can be able to do that, but you want to talk about being truly pro-life, when they do that, they say right here, right now, we will walk with you in this and we will adopt your baby. That's pro-life right there. And then we are to support and endorse pro-life agendas. This does include, again, supporting legislation and such of those things. And again, I know that can be messy, again, politically in such ways. I know that although politics are going to be intertwined with abortion and it gets messy because it is murder of innocent, it, 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 there's no way around that. There is a political side. There has to be. But if this is your biblical justice issue to take action with, then do it with those things in mind. And I pray, hope it is balanced with compassionate evangelism. Yes, I know and I've heard the arguments outlawing it could push it underground. Yes, I also know, and I wonder myself politically, how much can it do? I mean, let's just be honest. Out of how much the party that is, I say party, it, the party that is more pro-life have had control of House and Senate 
have had control of all those things and actually could have taken reversal of Roe and Wade and some of those things, how often has it actually been done? We have to ask why to a certain extent. Our trust, although steps can be taken, should not be in the politics because we must be a bit careful with this. In fact, I want to read to end a quote by Matt Chandler, who I wholeheartedly agree with this. I'm a little anxious, he said right now, for the pro-life movement because I see it leaving its gospel biblical roots and joining a political kind of ideology that is inconsistent with the Imago Dei. If we believe in the Imago Dei, that all human beings are created by God in His image, then what it means to be pro-life is way bigger than just the unborn. The unborn are the most vulnerable. I would argue that passionately. They are the most vulnerable. But what it means to be pro-life is to take a position of compassion and kindness toward all the sick, the poor, the homeless, the aged, the mentally challenged, the inmate, the refugee. Being pro-life is being pro-humankind, not just caring for the unborn. And when you politicize this, you sacrifice weak, small political gains and forfeit the war. The more we make this about a political party or a political ideology, rather than rooting ourselves in the word of God for the glory of Jesus, we sacrifice our integrity on the altar of politicization. And if we do that, it is going to kill us in the long game. Power swings back and forth in a democratic republic over and over and again. And I'm just watching the pro-life movement cut its own legs out from under it. For every little victory we're winning right now, I'm just a little anxious about what's going to happen when that swing comes, what leg will we stand on then? Brothers and sisters, our pro-life position is rooted in the word of God and God's good design for humankind, not rooted in political ideologies. Are we to enter into the political arena? Absolutely. Are we to do so with our integrity? Absolutely. But I'm not ignorant. These are really confusing political times, maybe not just for you, but they are for me. And these are confusing political environments, yet we must stand on the word of God and in opposition to all that stands as an affront to the word of God. And this is what it means to be pro-life. You don't get to pick where you apply the word of God. The word of God bears its weight on all of life. Again, just a reminder, as I had heard that a few years ago, how true that is. It is not the ultimate answer. And when standing up, speaking out, taking action, again, do not forget. We are to share the gospel. We are to love our neighbor. I understand the righteous anger, but, but to ignore, I, I, I'd even ask you, ignore what you hear when it comes to some of the testimonies with, with pro-choice agenda. When people go that far and do that, people are haunted by that. What is shown in the media and the testimonies of how proud they are, again, it is Satan deceiving. Majority of people who need Jesus more than ever. And we need to be Jesus, stand up on all of those sides. We are to redeem the things in this world that are going toward or may appear dead. And I can't but help as we end to think of how God's people did that, and God did that, even from Exodus, where Pharaoh, an effort with a major genocide trying to kill all children, and an Israelite mom does her best to save her baby's life, wraps him up, puts him in a river, where 
Pharaoh's very own daughter ended up adopting him. Where God used Pharaoh's own deathly purposes against him. Adopted and saved the one who set Israel free, be a witness to Egypt and a foreshadow and birth line to Jesus Christ who gives us the gospel that brings new life. Please remember, God is still turning the world's deathly purposes against them and we can be witnesses, help free, and point people to Jesus. Be champions of all things that represent life, marriage, family, and this. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, again, we know and trust that your word bears back fruit, that the gospel is the answer, and that on areas that are tough and dear to us, whether it be struggles that we have, relationships that we hold, whether it be certain confliction with our own families. I pray, Lord, I pray that you will show and we will see, experience, and then act out on the redemption that we are given through your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. In each one of these areas, as messy as they are, that again, that we be people of life as you have given us new life through the resurrection. And we figure out what that means in each of those areas. We pray this in your name, Jesus.